Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 24th, 2017. On today's episode, we're going to be diving into the news, talking about Daredevil Season 3, Lex Luthor's role in Justice League, or lack thereof, the Batman existing outside of the DCEU, Tremors TV series finds a director, the fate of Bad Boys 3, and how Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will set up the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and in the mailbag... We'll be talking about standalone DC stories that Warner Brothers should make into movies. With me on the podcast today are Ben Pearson. Hey, how's it going? And Jacob Hall. Hi, hi. And of course, as always, this is Peter Serretta. Uh, guys, let's just dive into the news. Um, today we learned, or I think actually yesterday we learned what Daredevil th- Season 3 might be about. Jacob, what do we know? What we do know is, and this is, I would suppose, minor spoilers for the Defenders, is that the final episode of that team-up series, which has Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist all teaming up for an eight-episode adventure, is that the final images hint that the acclaimed and famous Daredevil storyline, Born Again, is on the horizon for season three. And I won't go into why that's hinted in the visuals of the show because that's potentially a spoiler people haven't finished it yeah that's so i think we can focus we can focus specifically on what that means for the actual show uh it's one of the more famous storylines from the 80s it was written by frank miller when he was the height of his powers when he was making daredevil into the daredevil we know today and the storyline essentially involved kingpin wilson fisk played by vincent d'onofrio in daredevil show uh learning daredevil's identity that he's matt murdoch and then using his money and power to, to essentially destroy Matt Murdock's life. Gets his uh, license for to practice law revoked. Um, gets him out of his home. Starts targeting his friends and family. Essentially grinds him down to nothing. So essentially forcing Daredevil to be born anew. Hence the title Born Again. And we know this because Charlie Cox, the star of Daredevil. And who was also one of the four leads in The Defenders. Uh, told The Hollywood Reporter this. Saying that's such an amazing story. Everyone who loves Daredevil loves Born Again. And he went on to explain how, having said that, I know we don't tend to follow any blueprints too closely, 
because if you do, you'll become a foregone conclusion. So pretty much what they're saying is, yes, they're setting up Born Again as season three, but don't expect it to be a one-on-one adaptation. It'll probably have the same divergences we've come to expect from all superhero and comic book adaptations. Now, now that uh, arc of Daredevil had some stuff that I don't expect to see in this show. Like, what happens to Karen Page? Well, as important as Frank Miller is to understanding how superhero comics came to be how they are today, and as much as I tend to enjoy reading his work, if I didn't be a unique talent with a unique voice that's worth investigating, he is, like many great artists, unenlightened in certain areas, and his treatment of female characters has never been, let's say, um, nuanced. He tends to write angry, depressed men very well and tends to write women in very one-dimensional, shallow ways. And this actually does apply to Born Again, where the character of Karen Page, you know, is this sort of strong ally of Daredevil, the Daredevil TV show, is actually a porn star turned drug addict who sells Daredevil out um, to get her next fix. And that's not at all the Karen Page we know on the TV show, where she's played by Deborah Wool, and she's maybe one of the best characters on the show. So I think it's in the best interest of Netflix and Marvel to realize let's not turn this really admirable, strong character into a drug-addled, um, <laughs> sex-addled, one-dimensional cl- cliche. So uh, I think we'll see Daredevil ground down by Kingpin Season 3. I do not think we will see that part adapted at all. It will probably be for the best. Okay, well, let's move from Marvel to DC. There's a lot going on in DC today. Uh, one of the things is rumor that Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor has been cut from Justice League. Ben, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? A Q&A article at the website uh, Batman on Film. Uh, in this article, a fan asked the writer, uh, reporter for that site, uh, how big Jesse Eisenberg's role as Lex Luthor is going to be in Justice League. And this writer responded, he doesn't have one. If he did prior to all of the changes slash reshoots, it was cut. So uh, that's like a pretty cut and dried, like just a forthcoming answer. And there's no yeah. and it, real it, hedging or anything like that. So... Um, and it should be noted that Batman on film has existed for, I think, two decades now, and they have had some major, major scoops in not only this iteration of the DC universe, but Nolan's time. And, you know, uh, they've ha- they have a pretty good track record. So it's not yeah. just like, a, a, you know, some janky fan sites. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because the last uh, official word that we heard from Warner Brothers and DC, uh, Jesse Eisenberg was listed in the official cast list, like the credits, you know, that went out to, you know, during a a press release months and months ago. Um, And even Eisenberg himself in May of 2016, uh, I mean, came so close to actually confirming that he was going to be in it. He was basically saying like, yeah, I'm just waiting for the call kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm excited to be back and all this stuff, but he didn't say like, I've physically been on the set. Um, so it's interesting, you know, he might've shot something and then maybe they could have just cut it out because as we know, they've, you know, significantly reworked the movie in this reshoot process and this post-production process. Um, it's, it, it sort of strikes me as a little weird that, uh, a major DC character like Lex Luthor wouldn't be in a Justice League movie. There's just something that sounds wrong about that. But at the same time, I'm sort of 
like, okay, he probably wasn't going to have that big of a role anyway if it was small enough where he could have been cut out. I'm probably, when all is said and done, going to be glad that he's not in this movie just because I want this movie to be as coherent as possible, especially in the wake of Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad. So if they're able to trim any unnecessary fat, that sounds like a good move to me. No, I agree. And I, th- I think them reworking the bad guy storyline of that, going from, you know, set up for Darkseid to Steppenwolf being the main baddie, uh, probably, you know, left Jesse Eisenberg on the cutting room floor if he filmed anything at all. Um, and we don't know that for sure. Also, in the DCEU, there is news that the Batman might not take place in the DC Extended Universe. Um, this quote comes from director Matt Reeves, who made the quote, made the quote on KRCW radio like a month ago, but for some reason, no one picked up on this until now. He was promoting his latest film, War for the Planet of the Apes, and he said, quote, well, I have a vision for a way to do something with that character talking about Batman that feels like it resonates with me personally and a perspective that can grow out into other things when they talking about warner brothers approached me what they said was look it's a standalone it's not part of the extended universe now matt reeves saying it's not part of the extended universe i'm not 100 percent convinced that that means that it isn't i mean right as of right now ben affleck is still uh you know on board to star as batman even though you know, there's a lot of speculation that he won't. Uh, when we broke the story that, you know, when Matt Reeves came on and Ben Affleck stepped down as director, that Matt Reeves was going to completely rewrite this project. Uh, I had heard at that time that he basically was given the green light by Warner Brothers. I mean, basically what he said that, like, that he would not have to adhere to any, you know, canon that is going on you know he wouldn't have to like lead into something or you know take anything away from any of the other movies that he could just do his own thing in his he own wanted the, he wanted the uh, nolan treatment sounds yeah. like so um so the question is does this mean that this is a standalone movie set in the dceu or does it mean what he says and that it's not in the dceu ben what do you think well, I mean, we know because the story broke yesterday that we talked about on the podcast about um, the the new Joker origin movie that there is a possibility that it that it could be DC characters, but not actually in the I guess traditional timeline of the the DCEU as we know it so far. Um, I, I would say based on what we were just talking about, Reeves wanting the Nolan treatment and wanting to the freedom to not be shackled down by any of the trappings of the, uh, the larger cinematic universe, I would guess that this will be in the same sort of vein as that Joker origins movie, where it's not the same kind of thing as the traditional uh, line of films that we've gotten so far. I, I know we've speculated in the past, they have this flashpoint movie coming forward and that could reboot this, this universe in a way that kind of the comics did uh, slash film reader Devin S tweeted at me when this story broke quote, uh, they're doing what they've always done in the comics. Use the multiverse to pave over missteps instead of learning. 
than knocking standalones out of the park. Uh, Jacob, is that what they're doing? <laughs> it certainly sounds like it, especially if Justice League is the mess. I think a lot of us are worrying it's going to be because I think comic fans at this point are kind of used to the pattern where they're enjoying a series that's maybe small and artist-driven and kind of exists in its own corner. And then the giant crossover event comes around and exists as a bandage to try to tie together a lot of broken things. And oftentimes your standalone stories get interrupted or warped into it. And sometimes you're allowed to just kind of can you fly through untouched. So it's kind of a weird situation where unintentionally the production of comic book movies are definitely mirroring how comic books have been made for decades in terms of how we put up with a lot of garbage <laughs> to get to the stories we enjoy. Yeah, we're we're even seeing things where like, you know, one studio is not having the the perfect financial time with their franchise characters, so they're making a deal with another studio to have a crossover event to help, you know, um that, that that's something that happened for a long time in the comics. I think even DC and Marvel have crossed over in uh the more deadly times of the comics. Am I right, Jacob? In the dark days of the nineties, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I, I want to make sure I'm not making stuff up. Uh, uh, okay. Anyways, moving on. We'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this in the mailbag. Uh, they are are making a Tremors TV series, and they have finally found a director, and I'm excited because this guy, you know, directed one of the better episodes of Westworld, and I'm a fan of his films. Jacob, you wrote the article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? This is really cool news. Uh, the Tremors TV show, which will uh, be produced by Blumhouse TV, who you know is the company behind Get Out, Paramount Activity, and all the really low-budget horror movies that tend to make a lot of money and are sometimes very good, uh, are producing this for the Sci-Fi Channel. And they've hired Vincenzo Natale to direct. And you may not know that name, but if you're a sci-fi or horror fan, you've probably heard of his work at least. He's probably best known on, on the big screen for directing Cube, Extremely low-budget 1997 sci-fi horror movie about people trapped in a deadly maze. It's excellent. And later he directed Splice, um, a really underrated uh, creature feature with Adrian Brody and a really, really cool monster. And then uh, his last feature film was 2013's Haunter, which is a really ambitious, unique haunted house movie. It doesn't quite come together, but it has a lot of imagination. But since then, he's been directing a lot of TV. Uh, this will name a few of his credits he's worked on hannibal american gods luke cage westworld orphan black and the strain so he's a, he's a filmmaker who learned his craft by making low budget genre movies which made him perfect for making uh genre television where he knows how to get a lot of bang for your buck in an hour of television so even though uh he's had no experience with tremors in the past and tremors is generally a more joyful and light-hearted type of horror or science fiction than he has done in the past it's really interesting to see that somebody who has this much experience in genre television is being hired to do Tremors and not just some workman guy who's just going to come in and do the job. For sure. Um, moving on, a project that may never happen. I remember when Brad was on the set of Transformers, this, this last Transformers movie, Michael Bay said, Bad Boys 3 will never happen. Um, and at the time, Joe Carnahan was was making it. Uh, we we now have more to the story. It's been Ben. What, what do we know? Yeah, I'm. I tend to believe Michael Bay on this one. Uh, so Bad Boys Three is technically called Bad Boys for Life. This has been in the works for a long time. 
Uh, Carnahan wrote a script. I think it's been rewritten a couple times since then. Um, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are supposedly attached, but it's never really been like officially announced. I mean, it was on Sony's release schedule, but I don't think the movie ever got a real green light. So it's one of those movie, those weird projects that's like sort of like uh, just floating there, like waiting for all of the pieces to actually fall into place. And uh, according to Martin Lawrence, he doesn't think they ever will. In a new interview with Entertainment Weekly, he said, I don't think we're going to get one, talking about Bad Boys 3. Uh, not the way everything's turning out. Will is off doing another movie, and I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, the other movie he's talking about is Aladdin, where Will Smith is going to be playing the genie in Guy Ritchie's uh live-action adaptation of Disney's Aladdin. Uh, and that seems to be one of the bigger problems with this production is that they can't really lock down Will Smith, who's obviously a major star and just bouncing from project to project. And that's probably indicative of the quality of the script. If Will Smith isn't interested in doing it, then he's not going to... He doesn't need this movie. Martin Lawrence might need Bad Boys 3, but Will Smith <laughs> certainly does not. So I and, uh, and one thing and, we forget is, you know, Michael Mo- Michael Bay is thought of as this big blockbuster filmmaker. But when he made Bad Boys, uh, whenever that came out in 1995, that movie was made for $23 million. It was a really, you know, uh, moderately uh, priced uh, film. And, yeah. uh, you know... I think Will Smith's price tag is more than $23 million now. So uh, <laughs> yeah. so there's the scheduling and the money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm guessing that this is just going to be another one of those projects that sort of uh, hovers around for a while and then eventually just falls off entirely. <laughs> um, going back over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, James Gunn is doing a lot of press. Uh, he was on Facebook Live. Uh, he... Uh, basically said that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will set up the next 20 years of Marvel. Um, and what he said is, um, quote, uh, someone asked him uh, if Nova may appear not only in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but separate cosmic films following that film. And James Gunn said, yes, definitely. Nova comes up occasionally as someone we might use. One of the things I'm doing with creating Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 it will take place after the next two Avengers movies, and it will help to set up the next 10 or 20 years of Marvel movies. It's going to really expand the cosmic universe. We're going to be setting up new characters. It will be the last movie of this version of Guardians of the Galaxy, something we've we've known already. Um, this, uh, When we posted the story on Slash Film, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of uh, backlash... Um, you know, I would think people that are excited, you know, that like are fans of James Gunn, fans of Guardians of the Galaxy would, would take that to, as a good thing. Uh, slash film reader, uh, Mick Matt tweeted at me, quote, uh, hearing that there's a plan for 20 years really makes me care a lot less about these films. Why care when you know there's a sequel in the works? Now, that begs the question to me because, honestly, I, I, I like the fact that they're planning for the future. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem like Marvel does that much planning, but uh, they, they have, like, a rough outline of what they're doing. And I'd rather that than them than just making up the story as you go. And I feel like you see a lot of TV shows where it was clear that they didn't have a concrete plan and they were, you know, making it up as they go. And in the end, that story as a full arc is kind of nonsense. Um, 
Ben, what do you what do you think of this? It is a bad is a bad thing that they're planning for the next twenty years of Marvel. I don't think it's a bad thing. I wonder if people are reacting negatively because they think maybe it's like a little um I don't know, like uncouth or something to talk about it in such uh, black and white terms, you know, like almost as if uh, Marvel is assuming that they're still going to be popular enough to uh, to be around, you know, 20 years from now. And maybe that's rubbing some people the wrong way or something. But like from a business perspective and like you're saying, from a story perspective, too, it makes total sense that they're talking about lining up movies like this. And Kevin Feige has been, you know, ever since 2008, he's been talking about this big plan that he's had. And I mean, that's what Marvel has built their entire Marvel Studios has built their entire company on is planning for the future. So uh, I, I can, I guess, see why the idea um, now of look, you know, because now we're what, 16 movies into the MCU or something. And I can see. And, people, and we're getting like three films a year from now on. Right. And I can see people maybe like um, hearing the idea of like, oh, we're going to keep up at this pace and maybe even faster for the next 20 years. I mean, that's like an onslaught of movies. Like thinking about how many films will be in the MCU by the time that's over. Maybe that's just what's overwhelming people and sort of uh, factoring into like a little bit of this like pushback response. But I don't know. And and you're right about this because a lot of filmmakers will go and make a movie, and even though there's obviously plans for sequels, there's plans for cinematic universes. They they give the the tried and true line of oh no, we're making this film, we're just concentrating on this film. You know, we want this to be a good beginning, middle, and end, and we hope hopefully audiences will respond to it. And it seems like you know, obviously Marvel and uh, all these other people are. are I mean, it, it seems. I, I guess ten. 20 years could be thought of as obnoxious. Uh, the other interesting thing in this story is uh, James Gunn also mentioned that the awesome mixtape number three, which spoilers for Guardians Galaxy Volume 2, but at the end, uh, Star-Lord gets a Zune, a Microsoft Zune, with a <laughs> bunch of songs from, we assume, the 90s, in 2000s um and he confirms that this is not meredith's choices because obviously the zoom didn't come from his mom it's her uh it was uh song choices of yondu and it's yondu communicating with peter through these song choices which i think is interesting jacob what do you do you have any uh thoughts on that i think it's just a cool thing to know we'll see if it actually has anything to do with the actual movie uh, my my guess is no. My guess is that it's just the kind of thing that will exist as trivia floating around the making of the film, something that James Gunn can talk about when people inevitably ask him, why'd you pick these songs in two years? But I like that James Gunn is thinking about this. I, I, I like that he's the type, type of filmmaker who is actually giving thought to these kinds of details. And it makes me wonder if uh, the effect that Yondu has at the end of the Guardian Galaxy Volume 2, which is a huge emotional moment, will linger on beyond the soundtrack if if the lessons characters seem to learn in those final moments will be revisited. But at the very least, it just it pleases me to know that James Gunn is a thoughtful enough filmmaker to be thinking about that on that level. For sure. Let's jump into the mailbag, guys. George from Benicia asks, with 
Warner Brothers developing a Joker origin story, leading to the possibility of non-connected DC films. What other stories from the DC comics would you like to see adapted? Um, I'll start this off. I think I've already talked on the podcast of that I would like to see Superman Red Sun adapted, and that's obviously the book that imagines the what if if uh, Kal El had landed in the uh, in Russia, right, um, and basically became you know an evil Superman uh, that is is doing their bidding. Um, it's an alternate universe where Lex Luthor is the good guy. <laughs> um, and I, I think that would be just, it, it's a great book and it would be just a fun what if, but it doesn't fit into the cinematic universes that, you know, these studios are trying to build and it might be a little bit hard to explain to general audiences. Uh, another book that I really like this one, I don't think would work as a movie, but I would, it would be interesting to see maybe as a TV show, um, Superman secret identity. And this is a book about a guy named Clark Kent who uh, is not Superman and he's growing up in a farm in Kansas and it's it's all about uh, the, you know, in, in a world where they believe in, you know, they have Superman comics and uh, that that's as much as I'll say about this. The, the problem with this book is there's obviously some superhero twist to this and I don't want to spoil that and if you were going to sell this as a movie or TV show, you'd have to reveal that and I feel like that's Kind of a big reveal in the book. Um, and lastly for me, uh, Batman Beyond is another one. I, did that start as a TV show, Jacob? Do you know? Or is uh, it a actually, comic? I don't have a direct answer to that question. I, oh. I, my gut feeling says it was originally an animated show, but yeah. um, they're yeah, yeah. bigger nerds than me. so Yeah, yeah. Um, I just assume you know everything. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Batman Beyond... <laughs> takes place in the future it's not bruce wayne it's you know one of uh someone who is taking on the mantle of batman and it's super futuristic like blade runner looking uh with uh you know he has futuristic sci-fi technology that's like way more advanced than what even batman can afford in you know the comics and um i i it's kind of like a young batman kind of tale i think that would be a cool thing to do like to you know let's let's break out of this cinematic universe and let's skip forward to the future and tell a batman tale that has you know after all these batman movies how many batman films we have two trilogies of batman films we have the batman 66 we have you know batman versus superman and now justice league um after all those stories why not let's tell something completely different um i that's what i would like to see jacob how about you I picked a trio of comic book storylines that were inspired by today's news, all in unique ways. Starting off, um, I want to talk about Batman Black Mirror, because we're talking about a Batman story that's disconnected from the larger universe and exists solely on its own. This was a uh, 10-issue storyline written by Scott Snyder and illustrated by Jock and Francesco Francavilla. And I don't want to say that too, too much, but if, for those of you who want to jump right in, it, it occurs during a time in the DC Universe when Dick Grayson, the former Nightwing and Robin, is Batman while, while Bruce Wayne is supposedly dead. But maybe one of the best Batman stories ever written. It's very contained. It's uh, Dick Grayson as Batman uh, investigating um, a supervillain called the Tiger Shark who is trying to sell weapons in the black market. And meanwhile, Jim Gordon's son, James Gordon Jr., 
shows back up in Gotham, and let's just say he's not mentally unwell, and it's this noir, horror-driven detective story has very little action in it, and it's focused entirely on Batman being an investigator and then being a guy who puts the puzzle pieces together and solves crimes, and everything comes together in a really satisfying, standalone way. And you, you don't have to know anything about the DC universe at all to be able to follow, other than Dick Grayson being Batman at that time. Uh, inspired by Lex Luthor being cut from Justice League, I want to talk, recommend or talk about uh, a miniseries that was originally published as Lex Luthor, Man of Steel, and is now uh, collected just as Luthor. Uh, this was written by Brian Nazarello, uh, drawn by Lee Bermeo, and it's essentially a five-issue, one-and-done storyline about Lex Luthor. It follows his perspective in a couple of weeks, essentially, in Metropolis, where we see Superman from his point of view, where Superman is this dangerous alien he doesn't trust. And it doesn't sugarcoat Luthor. It doesn't say, oh, he's actually a good guy. He's the kind of guy who doesn't want to give his union workers a raise. He's still the capitalist dirtbag that we see him as in other stories but at the same time it treats him as being more of this human flawed figure who genuinely believes he's doing good upon defeat superman and it's a perspective that i really wish they had brought in bad superman uh and the one i still want to see on the big screen because it's gives him a little bit more layers than just the bad guy who doesn't like superman hmm. uh and finally this is a very recent recommendation um not to get too confusing but uh dc comics recently had an event called rebirth where they once again rebooted their universe and ended the New 52 line of comics that was very controversial for about five years. And that's a whole other thing. But in the process, they killed Superman. And they killed Superman. Again. They killed Superman. Yeah, they killed him again. <laughs> but they killed a version of him that was younger and less popular uh, than the version from 10 years ago. So by having universes collide and all kinds of nonsense, the Superman from before the New 52 arrived in this universe, and he's married to Lois Lane, and he has a young son, maybe I guess about 10 years old. And they just kind of slot themselves into this new universe and take up the mantle of, the, of Superman. And it's extremely charming. It's really funny. It's written by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, drawn by Gleason, among others. And in, in, a, in a universe, uh, like a cinematic universe like, like this, where Superman's destroying buildings um, just to kill one guy in, in Man of Steel, here's a Superman who realized that his young son is watching everything he's doing. So he has to be responsible. And then half the storyline and half of the heart of it comes from Superman being a, uh, a husband and a father and trying to say, if I'm the most powerful being on earth, how can I also be a good example to my son? And it's actually really heartwarming and charming. And even when things get crazy, it gets brought back to earth because no matter how crazy things get, get Superman always has to say, okay, this is nuts. How do I take my, fatherhood into account as i make these decisions and it's really good and i recommend it highly ben you're not as big of a dc comics reader what do you have for us yeah so i'm definitely not as in tune to comics as a medium as you guys are but uh, i dug through the archives and found a project that uh, dc and warner brothers had actually had in development in the mid 90s uh, in 1995, the Wachowskis wrote a script for a Plastic Man movie, and that obviously never came to be. But uh, I think that would be sort of a fascinating thing for them to trot back out now, um, especially if it takes place in this sort of um, alternate timeline, 
DC universe that's not actually the DCEU because I can't ex- really imagine Plastic Man, you know, being a member of the Justice League or anything like that. But uh, working as sort of a, a solo, a weird oddity, sort of a solo film on its own, I think there's some potential there for it to be really weird. I, I found this old interview where um, Lana Wachowski said that it's probably the closest script to a comedy we'll write. We thought it would be kind of cool. The basic idea we came up with was that he would be an environmentalist, almost like an earth firster type of guy. Uh, the funny scene we thought of was that kind of at the start of it all was he goes to the bathroom after he becomes plastic man and his urine is no longer biodegradable. So he wants to kill himself. <laughs> so like <laughs> That is like such a ludicrous concept to me that I'm like, yeah, let me see the Wachowskis take that on now. And I think especially with them finally bringing uh, sense eight to a, a proper close. And I don't think they have another project announced after that. Um, we've been talking for years about how they would be good filmmakers to, you know, enter the DCEU. And I think, <laughs> I don't know, they could roll the dice and give them their Plastic Man movie back. That would be something to see. And they're Warner Brothers guys. So that I think they have, there's a relationship there. Maybe they can make it happen again. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Um, one other thing I wanted to mention that pr- probably wouldn't, probably falls out of the uh, contained story, but there was like an all-star stu- Superman comic that I read once that uh, I think Clark Kent, as a reporter for the Daily Planet, was going to this maximum security prison that was kind of like on this island or something. I'm not sure if you recall this, Jacob, but like I think it was like like an Alcatraz-like island, right? And basically, the the something happened, and the prisoners get free, and Clark uh, has to save the day without revealing he's Superman. And Lex Luthor's there, by the way. So, like... And see, I'm not remembering all the details. This is That's coming up. That's interesting. That, uh, that reminds me... Sorry to cut you off, Jacob, if I was going to. But uh, that reminds me a lot of the um, that movie called Supermax that yeah. never actually came to be. But it was, like, the same sort of concept where Green Arrow, I think it was, is the protagonist. And he gets uh, incarcerated in, like, a, a maximum security facility with all of these supervillains. And he doesn't have his bow and arrow or any sort of like powers or whatever. And he has to sort of like, he's wrongly accused and has to fight his way out. Um, so that sort of, I wonder if, if that came first or if the comic that you're talking about came first, cause it sounds like there's some similar ideas there. The, the comic he's referring to is an issue of uh, Grant Morrison and Frank uh, Quietly's uh, all-star Superman, which made my favorite Superman storyline of all time. And it, it, it's really fun. And as Peter said, did, did I butcher text. it? Is, did um, I say correctly? You were you were about eighty five percent correct. The, the big the big hook that, the big hook that I love though was that Clark Kent is sent to the prison to interview Lex Luthor, who's been incarcerated, and so Lex Luthor spends the entire time talking to his arch enemy without helping aware that he's Superman. And when things go wrong, Clark Kent keeps on keeps on saving Lex Luthor um, without having without having Lex Luthor seeing that he's saving his life. So there's a lot of really good comedy built into the situation as well as it being exciting to uh, the read and see. Yeah, like I feel like something like that could actually be done in in the the frame of the cinematic universe, uh, and maybe not standalone. But anyways, uh, <laughs> this has been another uh, edition of the mailbag. If you have any questions for us, please send them to Peter at slashfilm dot com. That's Peter at slashfilm dot com. Please mention your name and general geographic location in case we mention them on the air. Um, 
you can find uh, Jacob and Ben at SlashFilm.com. Uh, ben, you can find on Twitter at Ben Pears. Jacob, you can find on Twitter Jacob S. Hall. And you can find me on Twitter at SlashFilm. Uh, you can find more of everything we mentioned, including some new Star Wars ships on SlashFilm.com. Uh, you can subscribe to SlashFilm Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and all the popular podcast apps. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television, as well as deeper dives into our great features on SlashFilm.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please go to iTunes, rate and review us. That helps a lot. And we'll leave you with this blooper. Work you cannot ignore if you want to understand how comic books got to how they are. You, you never had the most enlightened view of female characters. <laughs> what happened? That was my cat knocking over a bunch of glasses. That definitely needs to be put at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm hitting stop.